0: Good morning, Epicenter Church. Morning. All right, here's what I want you to do this morning. I am excited about today. I'm really excited about seeing you guys. Can I get a, a, a few more lights in, in the house and a few less lights on the stage? I can't, I can't see, so there we go. Take your Bibles out, your, your mobile devices, your iPads, your iPods, your Blackberries, your Blueberries, your, your Droids. I want you to take those out, and I want you to turn in them to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Woo! Yeah, and as you're turning there, I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand up with me, holding your Bible or your mobile device. We're going to read this together. We're going to start out, but, but before we do, everybody stand up with me. We've got one or two. It's tough for you to follow directions today. Simon says... Hey, here's what I want you to do before we do it. I want you just to high-five the person to your left and to your right. Now, hang on a second before you do it. And tell them you're called to connect. You're called to connect. Go ahead, right here. High-five. Called to connect. Woo, high-five. Yeah, all over the building, high-fives. Called to connect. Yeah. Don't get too rowdy in here today. All right. Let me read for you. I just want to read 46 and 47, and then we'll come back and we'll dissect the first part of this text. But I think 46 and 47 will kind of set up where we're going. Here's what it says. If you don't have it, it's on the screens. It says, Every single day, they, everybody say they, they "They continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47 says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Uh, Do you get what's going on here? There's this huge relational quality that was taking place in the very first church. The first century church. There's this relational aspect. There is this genuineness of togetherness. There's this relational explosion, if you will. And then look what happens because of relationships. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being what? Father, we thank you, God, for an opportunity just to dissect your word. Today, God, we want to jump into your word. And Father, I don't want to add anything to your word or take anything away. God, I don't want people to see me. I, I want people to see you in me. And so today, God, I ask you to take this word and may it pierce even the hardest of hearts as we peel back the layers today. God, do with this word as you will. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, welcome to week number three. It's really week number three and four. Um, because last week we were in the series, but Teen Challenge was here. And, um, but this is actually the teaching session number three. Uh, so I want to welcome you to that. But let me just say this. By now you've understood that this is Go Fish. This passage or this teaching series is an action series. It's an action-oriented, your face blood blood-and-guts verb. Hello? It's a series that will demand response out of you. Now, not just response throughout this series, but hopefully you will embrace some of the principles that we are looking at in this this series. And you will continue to respond for the rest of, of your life because we've been looking at the very mission of the church. The mission of every Christ follower. We've been looking at the mission of Epicenter Church, which is to reach people who are far away from God. But here's the deal, we don't stop with just the reaching, we also do this thing called teaching or discipleship. But let me just say this, there is a sequential order to to God's design when it comes to Christ followers. First there's this reaching and then there's this teaching, but in the teaching process there is this aspect that we cannot ignore and that is the relational aspect of the church. You see, Jesus poured himself into 12 individuals relationally and and he changed the world because of those, those intimate relationships. And God wants us to grow the body of Christ through relationships. He's called us to do it. You see, we understand through this series that God has called us to be fishers of men. And so when we're fishers of men, we must fish with compassion. We must disciple. But we must not negate the relational aspect of the church. We must build authentic, genuine relationships. Jesus did it. Jesus spent time with 70 disciples... 70 different individuals that he poured himself into on a daily basis. Now inside of the 70, there was a core group of men that were 12 strong. And Jesus, on a a more than daily basis, just invested and poured himself into them. Changed their lives. Inside of the core of 12, there was a core of three or four. And Jesus poured into them. We can follow his example. He set this relational example for us. In fact, I want to show you a verse of Scripture. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at this. They'll put it on the screens. Verse 21, it says this. To this you were what? Everybody say that with me. To this you were what? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, what? One of the steps that Jesus took to change the world and to establish the first church was the relational step. So here is the foundational statement for today's talk. And that is this. As Christ followers, we must be devoted to building authentic relationships in order to grow the body of Christ. I want you to write that down. You've got your worship directory. Take some notes. As Christ followers, we must be devoted to building authentic relationships in order to grow the body of Christ. You see, there are so many people that are around us that need a partnership with us. And, and it has to be more than just reaching. It has to be more than the initial investment of reaching people. We, we've got to go beyond the teaching and we've got to go to the relational side. We've got to begin to come alongside people and begin to do relationships the way Scripture mandated that we do it. But here lies the problem. This is where there's a breakdown and I want you to just hang here with me for a few minutes. And I want to illustrate it for you this way. I want to take you back to a story that, that we used to begin this series. I want to be openly transparent and brutally honest with you today about my own ignorance. If you'll remember, we started this series out and I told you about a situation where my family and I, we were at Chick-fil-A going through the drive through as we're going through the drive through me and Kim and the boys are all in the vehicle and, and we've just got someplace to be. We're extremely busy, so we're grabbing our dinner, going through the drive through And as we come out of the drive through we take a left and, and are proceeding towards the main road. And, and just as we take a left, I see this individual who is holding a cardboard sign up ahead. And the very moment that I saw him, I said these words. I said, do not make eye contact. Can believe that I said those words. I don't know why I said those words. And I want you to listen to me very closely this morning. I don't know why I said to, to everybody in my car, do not make eye contact. Because the moment that those syllables rolled off of my tongue, I was deeply convicted for two reasons. Number one, at that moment, I was busy, my meal in my lap. I, 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 but I was unwilling to engage in this man's need. And number two, I was... Convicted because what lesson was I teaching my boys? I was overwhelmed with conviction. I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know why I said those words because so many times in in the past I have stopped in situations like that. I have gotten out of my car. I have given cash. I have given an encouraging word. But at that moment, for whatever reason, whether I was too busy or whether God was trying to teach me a lesson or give me a sermon illustration, I'm not sure. I said, do not make eye contact. And just as we get up to this individual, I read his sign out of the corner of my eye. And his sign said, I have cancer. That was a game changer for me. To be perfectly honest with you, my conviction went to a whole nother level. We began to reach into our pockets and we began to get this cash together. We rolled the window down and we gave this individual cash. And we said, God bless you. And and all of a sudden we turned the corner and we began to speed off doing life. And the further I got away from this individual, I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. The further that I got away from him, the more convicted I was. Because I began to think to myself, was there more that I could have done? Was there something deeper, something more meaningful? Could I have done something relational for this individual? Could I have gotten out of the car, found out his name, prayed with this guy, and the further I got away from it, even up until this day, I've been deeply convicted that I missed this opportunity. Maybe this dude was impoverished relationally. I don't know. I'm just having to assume. Maybe he wasn't impoverished relationally. Maybe he has more friends than than he cares to have. I I don't know, but I would venture to bet that more of us have some form of relational poverty in our lives. Many of us today are relationally impoverished in, in some area. You see, maybe the person that's holding the cardboard sign is not the dude on the the corner, but maybe it's the single mom. And she's relationally impoverished, but yet she's in a community of believers. Maybe it's not a, a single mom. Maybe it's someone who's in your family who is relationally impoverished, but yet they're connected to a biblical community. Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's a soldier that you work with or maybe it's a soldier that goes to this church and he or she is relationally impoverished. Maybe it's the drug addict that you have written off because they've always been that way. They'll always be that way. Maybe it's a co-worker. But can I do something with you for a moment? I just want to kind of Hit you squarely between the spiritual eyes this morning. I want to take it to the church level. Because to be perfectly honest with you, in church culture today, there is a relational breakdown. We're not doing life in an intimate, deep, relational way that the first church did it in. And can I tell you why I think that is? I want you to listen to me, and I want everybody to be focused on me right here, right now, because I don't want anyone to leave and say, Pastor Mark was was preaching heresy today. I want you to hear me. I think one of the reasons why we have a relational breakdown in the biblical community called the church is because of the question that we're asking. Now, I want you to listen to me closely. The question that I'm about to say to you is an imperative question. It's a profound question. It's a question that we must ask as a church. I am not trying to demean the significance of this question. I'm just trying to make a point to you. The question that the church has asked for 2,000 years and the question that the church should ask is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It's an important question. It's something that we should know because let me be honest with you, you cannot make it to heaven without a personal relationship with Jesus. You cannot make it to heaven on your mom's coattails. Just because your husband is a Christ follower doesn't make you a Christ follower. Just because your grandma is a Christ follower does not make you a Christ follower. You're no more a Christ follower because of your grandfather than you are a police officer because you're in Dunkin' Donuts. Hello? Forgive me, all the police officers upstairs. Just kidding. You see, we have to have this personal relationship with Jesus. That's an important question. But there's a breakdown. You see, we're good at the initial investment. We're good at at seeing, making sure that people know Jesus. The church is pretty good at that. But we're horrible at the second question. You see, I think this question should follow the first question. And that question is this. Do you have a shared relationship with Jesus? Do you do life? Do you do your spiritual journey with others in an intimate Do you have significant spiritual relationships with people who know what your difficulties are, who can pray with you, who can help you, who can be right alongside of you and partner with you? You see, because that's where there's a breakdown. We we do pretty good initially. We do pretty good when it's passing cash out of the car to someone who's in need. We're we're pretty good at the salvation part of it. But what about the relational? Because there's a huge gap. In fact, let me tell you something. I, I sat on a committee several months ago for our denomination, the Assemblies of God. And I want to tell you something that's tragic. We sat on this committee trying to figure out what to do about these statistics Between the year 2005 and 2010, in our denomination, in the assemblies of God across the nation, there were 2.5 million people who gave their hearts to Christ. That's incredible. That's awesome. In fact, we we applaud that 2.5 million people gave their hearts to Christ. Come on, I want you just to... But here's the problem. During that same five years, our churches all across America only grew by 200,000. So what happened? We're good at seeing people saved, but we're bad at sharing spiritual relationships. We're bad at connecting. Connecting. You see, there are people inside the church and outside of the church that desire a a partnership with someone who will come alongside them and help them do life, that will partner with them. But let me show you something. This is a verse of Scripture that I think you need to see. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Don't turn there. Just write it down. You'll see it on the screen. This is a problem that's been going on since the early church, really. In fact, Paul writes this. He writes to the church at Philippi. And we looked at the first verse and maybe even the second verse a few weeks ago. But I'm going to show you the the third verse. It says this, I have no one else like him. Paul is making reference to Timothy. He has no one else that's like Timothy who will come alongside of him and help him do life. And help him walk the spiritual journey. He has no one to share in a spiritual relationship with. This is heartbreaking to me. Paul is probably one of the greatest men who ever walked the face of the earth. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Yet he's saying, I have no one else like him. He's breaking his relationships down to one person. And look what he says, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Look at the next verse, verse 21. He says, for everyone else just looks out for his own what? Hold on a second. And not those of Jesus Christ. So people are so consumed with their own interest, but they're not consumed with the interest of Jesus Christ. So you see the spiritual relationships are beginning to fragment already. But look what happens in in verse 22. He said, but you know what? Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of, Of the gospel. Wow. He's had this togetherness. He's been with me. He's worked with me. We've had this shared relationship. You see let me say this to you. You're called to connect. You're called to have a a togetherness. You see you're to connect to a biblical community. And while you connect to the biblical community. You're supposed to connect others to that biblical community. Hello. That's what we're called to do. We're called to connect. But here's the problem. And let me just be forthright with you this morning. Many of you, you're, you're not connected. Maybe this morning you have some relational difficulties. You, you have a lot of friends. You have a lot of acquaintances. But you have no real deep, meaningful, spiritual relationship. So what I want to do with you today is I want, to, I want to kind of correct that. In fact, what I want to do is I want to take you on a journey in the early church in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. I want to take you through the first church. I want to show you what their lives look like and then I want us to evaluate our lives and make sure that our lives match their lives. Because let me say this to you. Jesus set up the early church. He came and he established the early church. Then he ascended to heaven. He said, this is what I want you to do. So this is as pure as it gets. When you see Acts chapter 2, it is as pure as it gets. So I want us to evaluate and see if our lives match their lives. So let's, let's begin and let's read some of these verses together. Now, l- let me say this to you. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to offer some commentary. And, and so let's just begin in verse 32 or, or verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Again, you can see in these two verses, there's all-inclusive statements. It says all, they gave their all, they were devoted. We see everyone was filled and there were many signs. There was this supernatural explosion that was taking place. It's just incredible. It's so surreal. This is the way it looked in first century church. This is the way it's supposed to look in the 21st century church. It's beautiful. There's no breakdowns. There's this extreme togetherness. And then look at verse 44. Luke writes this. He says, all the believers were what? All the believers were what? Loud. All the believers were what? Wow. And had what? Everything in common. Man, when I read that verse, I, I'm really, I'm just, I'm blown away to be perfectly honest with you. Because that is incredible. That is the definition of Epicenter Church. It's beautiful to me. And so I began to do research on this one verse. Here's what I discovered, and I want to share this with you. It's, it's in the New Testament when there was a reference made to the early church. There was one Greek term that they used Most of the time. It was the Greek term koinonia. Let me tell you what this Greek term means. I hope you're taking notes. Koinonia, write this down. It means participation. It means partnership. When they were talking about the early church, it's participation, it's partnership. Some theologians translate that word this way and I don't want anyone's mind to go to the gutter so just hang with me for a second some theologians translate the word koinonia as relational intercourse not sexual intercourse but relational intercourse where we do relationships in a deep genuine passionate intimate way it's the koinonia way it's the early church way it should be the epicenter way but because this word is so deep, I, and I love this word, I, I've got to give you the rest of the definition. That word paints this image, and I want you to imagine this. It paints the image that we are to live in such a way that when we do life, we literally take responsibility for someone else. Oh, did you catch that? Most of us don't want responsibility for ourselves. But the early church lived a koinonia life, which means that you take responsibility, spiritual responsibility for someone else. Now let me just be transparent with you. What what does that mean? That means that when you see someone who is rejoicing, you rejoice with them. When you see someone who is hurting, you hurt with them. When you see someone who is happy, you're happy with them. When you see someone who is celebrating, you celebrate with them. When you see someone who is broken, your heart hurts for them. Hello? Koinonia. Let me say this to you as a pastor. This is probably one of the hardest things that I have to deal with as a pastor. And I want everybody right here. One of the hardest things that I have to deal with as a pastor is seeing someone fall away from Christ. Seeing someone fall away from Christ after I have invested in them after I have poured into them after I have given and, and taken responsibility for them and, and, and then all of a sudden I see them fall away from, from Christ. My heart is broken. When I see this happen, I, my heart is, is grieved. That is because God has called us to have a koinonia relationship. But now I want you to understand something. I want everybody right here because I want you to see something. This passage of Scripture, some of you are saying, well, you know what, you're, you're a pastor. And your heart should hurt when you see that happen. And you're right. But you know something? This passage of Scripture is not making reference to pastors. This passage of Scripture is making reference to you. Hello? Don't everybody go to shouting at one time? In fact, I want you to personalize this passage. I want you just to take, take they... And cross through it and write your name above it. They devoted themselves. So I want you to say, Me. I'm devoted. Me. I want you to write your name there. I want you to look at the person to your left and say, We're partners. Say it, We're partners. Look to the person to your right and say, We are partners. We're to partner with one another, we're to have a Koinonia relationship. In fact, I want to give you three thoughts out of this passage really quickly that I think will help you live this type of relationship when it comes to biblical community. The very first thing, again, fill in the blanks, the very first thing that we need to do to connect, to answer the call of connection to the church, is that we must be devoted with extreme commitment It demands extreme commitment. I want you to understand something. The early church, these types of relationships, when they had everything in common, they just didn't happen. How many of you know that relationships don't just happen? They have to be nurtured. They did not just happen. They were intentional when it came to relationships. In fact, I I want you to see something with me. I want you to look at verse uh, 43. Go to verse 44. It says this. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. I, I want you to understand something. That doesn't just happen. In fact, I want you to go back to verse 42. I want to show you something. The reason why it happened is because the second word. Say that second word with me. Devoted. Devoted. They were devoted. They were extremely committed to four things. What four things were they committed to? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things that they were devoted to that, the, that Luke highlights. Apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, here's what I want to ask you. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I connected This way to biblical community? Am I committed? Am I truly committed to biblical community in these four areas? I think for you to discover that, I want to walk you through an internal inspection. I want to look at those four areas really quickly. The very first area is Are you devoted or committed to the apostles' teaching? What that's making reference to is Are you doing some Bible studies? Now, I want you to hang here with me for a second because this is not talking about personal Bible studies. This is talking about group Bible studies. It's okay to have personal devotions, and I'm all for it. You need to. But there needs to be times in your life where you have group Bible studies. Because you know what happens? When you begin to get together with another group who is studying God's Word, undoubtedly one person will say, Wow, I've never seen God's Word that way, and I didn't realize that. And you'll say, oh, yeah, man, that's so cool. It speaks to me the same way. You see, we must be committed to breaking God's Word together. We must be. How are you doing when it comes to that? Because, see, here at Epicenter Church, we give you so many experiences outside of the worship experience to develop your relationship with others. Are you taking advantage of it? I want you to grade yourself. How are you doing with the first one, the apostles' teaching? How are you doing with the second one? fellowship now I want you to listen to me here at epicenter we don't call it fellowship we call it doing life together how are you doing when it comes to that how are are, are you doing when it it comes to to, to others just doing life together with you like are there people around you in your spiritual journey that you know what they're struggling with and they know what you're struggling with Are there people around you that you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you have this overwhelming urge to pray for them because God's put them in your heart and you're like, wow, maybe they're going through something and so you desire to pray for them and with them. Are there people in your spiritual journey that know what's going on in your life because there should be according to this passage of Scripture? Here's a bigger question. and listen to me closely. Are you asking those that are in your Spirit of influence, this question, is there anything that I can do for you? In fact, let me show you something. This is Jesus. This is his words in Mark chapter 10, verse 51. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 10, verse 51. Jesus is about to heal Bartimaeus. He's about to to do an incredible miracle of blind Bartimaeus. We don't know a whole lot about Bartimaeus. We don't know if there was a relationship that Jesus had with him. We're not sure. What we do know is that Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus. But before he healed him, he asked him this question right here. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Some of your translations this morning says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Can I be honest with you? I think one of the reasons why we have a relational breakdown in the church is because we're not asking that question enough. What can I do for you? We're not asking that question enough. What can I do for you? If those words are not rolling off your mouth when it comes to others in your spiritual sphere of influence, there's a problem. Hello? Everybody with me? We've got to be better about that. And then there's the third thing, and that's breaking bread together. How many of you are taking and turning a meal into a spiritual experience? I want you to grab that. How many of you are, are, are meeting with people, having them over to your house, going out to dinner and just kind of talking about God and, and talking about the church and talking about how much you love the pastor and talking about all that stuff? You know what I mean? How, how many of you are, are doing that? Let me tell you something. Pastor Ferd is incredible at that. Him and Bonnie have people over to their house all the time. Now, he's the connections pastor. And, and, and some of you are saying, well, he ought to. He's the connections pastor. Not the case. He would do it without it. Because that's what he loves to do. We need to be more like that. Then the fourth thing is prayer. Are you praying for others? Are they praying for you? Grade yourself there. I mean, seriously, grade Yourself And let me be, again, honest with you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says something that I want you to see. Put it on the screens. Don't turn there. Write it down. When you get home this afternoon, I want you to underline this verse of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, it it says something that is absolutely the truth in our culture today. It says, let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up. You see, I would argue that there are more people in our culture today who have given up on meeting together. We're just not meeting together. And right here, the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up on that. Why is it that we give up on meeting together? Well, but maybe we're too busy. Maybe it's because we don't see the significance of it. So we give up on meeting together. We can't do that. In fact, let me say this to you. As the pastor of this church, this is the most awesome church there is. But it is physically impossible for me to meet every single need of this church. This church is a growing church. This church is a fast-growing church. This church is a fairly large church. It is physically impossible for me to meet every single need that comes across my desk because let me say this to you. There are dozens of needs that come across my desk on a weekly basis that are unpredictable. We didn't see coming. We didn't see happening. And, and between me and the staff, we can't meet all of those needs. And there are times when as a staff, here's what we'll do. We'll sit down and we'll say, okay, who in the body of Christ can help us meet this need? I want you to listen to me. Who in the body of Christ can help us meet this need? And then all of a sudden we'll go, oh, we know who can help us. And we'll call that person and we'll say, hey, here's the need. And they'll go, oh, wow, that's so incredible. I'd love to be involved in that. That, I see that that's definitely a need. And and, but, 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 but too busy. I don't have the time for it right now. Now listen, I'm not throwing stones at you because I'm just, any stones that I'm throwing at you are falling right here on my toes as well. Do you understand? I understand busyness. I started off showing you my own ignorance out of Chick-fil-A. I understand it. There are seasons in our lives when we are busy. But can I tell you something? If your answer is I'm too busy to get involved with someone else's need. What is that saying as a Christ follower? If you are saying all the time, if it becomes the norm, I'm too busy to get involved in someone else's need, you know what that says about your faith? It tells me that it's dead and that it's worthless. Again, it's not my words. That's God's words. Faith without works is dead we've got to make sure that we engage that that we are deeply committed the second thing is that we need to make sure of is that the call to connect demands extreme generosity extreme generosity I want you to understand something. The early church was an extremely generous church. They cultivated generosity amongst themselves. They gave when they didn't even have it to give. It was such a beautiful, just extreme show of generosity. In fact, I want to show you something in in verse 45. Look at verse 45 with me. I love this verse. Look what happened in the early church now. This is extreme. It says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Hold on a second. Selling their possessions and goods, who did they give to? As he had what? This is extreme. This is beautiful to me. Because what's happening in the early church is people are saying, you know what, I want to be involved in something that's bigger than me. I want to be involved in something that's bigger than I am. God gave it all to me anyway, so what I want to do is just be a conduit. I want to take what he's given to me, and I want to bless someone else, because when I do, oh, it builds such great relationship. It, It causes people to be blessed. It causes the body of Christ to prosper. This is incredible. Be committed. To extreme generosity. And then last is this. And that is when we are connected, there are extreme results. In fact, verse 43, I want to show you this. Verse 43, look at it. Verse 43, Luke writes this, and I love this verse. It says, everyone was filled with awe. The word awe is the Greek word phobos, which actually means to fear God. Everyone was filled with such awe and fear of God. You know why? Because there were many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. You see, when we connect the way the Bible tells us to connect, there's supernatural things that happen that are outside of our control that only God can take credit for. You see, there were miraculous signs. Everybody say miraculous signs. And wonders. All of these things were taking place because of their deep commitment, their koinonia relationships. Then look at verse 46 and 47, talking about extreme results. Every single day they continued to meet together, koinonia, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47 praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Are you connected? Really, are you connected? I cannot tell you the number of things that Epicenter Church is involved in in our community as we speak. Starting in the middle of September through the end of the year, it's one of the busiest times for this church. We're connected with all kinds of agencies. We've got a series that we're kicking off in December called Love Week. Where we're actually partnering with six agencies, and we're going to try to volunteer a thousand hours if we can to these agencies during Christmas, from the hospital to Habitat for Humanity, Operation In, as much just all adopt a school just all kinds of stuff that we're engaged in we just got through with a blanket drive with methodist university we just got through this past weekend with a clothes drive that that tanya jones headed up it's just just a beautiful time that we're so engaged in our community and the reason why we're doing it's because when we begin to do koinonia relationships the way god intended there will be extreme results more than that, let me tell you this about this church. I cannot tell you the number of marriages that have been restored because of what's taken place here. Because people have come in and they've gotten connected and they've heard a word that has blessed them, and somehow, some way, they left changed. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've had the joy and the privilege and the honor to pray with around these altars who have given their heart to Christ and their lives have been forever changed because we were here and we cared for them. I can't tell you the number of people that I have prayed with and placed my hand in their hand and they have battled with some form of addiction in their lives and because we've partnered with them and, and we've helped nurture them, we've seen their lives changed. That's why we're here, to be the epicenter of change. Coin a Are you connected? Because today, some of you are in a position where you need some of what I've just described. And through your intimate connection, got to do what you need him to do.